leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards in stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. A number of clinical successes in the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's granting of designations that provide accelerated pathways to experimental therapies speaks to the progress of research funded by the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine. We spoke to Kevin McCormick, Senior Director of Public Communications and Patient Advocate Outreach for CIRM, about the growing pipeline of therapies, the changing regulatory environment, and whether the Institute will have a future beyond its existing funding. Kevin, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me, Danny. We're going to talk about the state of regenerative medicine, some encouraging advances in the pipeline, and the changing regulatory environment at the FDA. We've seen some promising clinical successes through research funded by CIRM. Perhaps we can start with the work of UCLA's Donald Cohn, who and Orchard Therapeutics for SCID or bubble baby disease. What is SCID? Well, SCID is severe combined immunodeficiency, and as you mentioned, it's also called bubble baby disease because children with this condition are born without a functioning immune system, which means that any virus, any bacteria could could prove fatal to them. Um, That's why in the past they were kept inside these sterile plastic bubbles. It was the only way really to protect them and keep them alive. And children with this condition often died within the first couple of years of life. Um, a few years ago, Don Cohn and uh, his, his team, and all in collaboration with Orchard Therapeutics, developed a method whereby they would take uh, blood stem cells from the children themselves, from these infants, genetically re-engineer them in the lab to remove the uh, the gene that's causing them the problem, and then return those blood stem cells to the to the children. Uh, those stem cells grew, they multiplied, they created a, a new blood system, and helped to repair the the immune system. And to date, Don and his team have cured, and I mean this work with with great sincerity, cured more than 30 children with this condition. It's a very rare condition, so to have cured that many children is quite substantial. And now CIRM is funding another clinical trial, and we have to increase that number even more. Um, but it was a really remarkable proof of concept that stem cells um, in the right hands, used in the right way, can not only be safe and effective, but they can be life-saving and life-changing. What's interesting as well is that Don is now adapting this this approach to to other conditions, to a condition called uh, chronic granular martyrs disease, which again is another immune disorder that that usually affects young men, and he's already cured one young man of that disease, and he's now adapting it and hoping to be able to use this approach for for people with sickle cell disease, and this is a condition that affects around 100,000 people in America, most of them African Americans, so this has tremendous 
promise for, for these kinds of diseases. Uh, as a side note, let me encourage people interested in learning more about that to listen to the interview our sister podcast, Rarecast, did with Don Cohn in April. Kevin, the company recently won rare pediatric therapy designation from the FDA. What does that mean for, for the company, and what's the significance of this? Well, the rare pediatric disease designation is really important, both for the company, but also more importantly for the patients, because what it means is that if a company can continue to show that their product is both safe and effective. They may not need to go to a, a full um, phase three clinical trial to be able to make that available to a wider group of patients because they, this designation means they can qualify what, what the FDA calls a voucher, and that will give it priority review of any marketing applications for, for that project or for a different product using that same kind of approach. So for a company, this is really important, and particularly for these, these kind of rare diseases um, because Often companies struggle to kind of be able to make any money out of these. Obviously, there's a, there's a limited marketplace, and so anytime you can, you can not only kind of accelerate your approval for that particular condition, but for maybe for other patient groups as well. That's really important. And I should note those those vouchers are transferable and have been an important source of financing, I imagine, for for companies like Orchard. Orchard wasn't alone. Capricor Therapeutics also recently won rare pediatric disease designation for its CERM-funded cell therapy to treat Duchenne muscular dystrophy. C can you describe at all what, what Capricor is doing? Well, Capricor is working with um, a patient group who suffer from Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And this, again, is one of those rare conditions that affect a relatively small number of people. In this case, mostly young boys. Um, typically, by the time they're diagnosed at, say, age seven, they're experiencing kind of a kind of severe muscular problems and the disease basically destroys their muscles. Uh, first of all, their ability to walk. Most of these children are in a wheelchair by the time they're 12. And then ultimately affects their heart. And that is the one that proves fatal in the end. And often this happens in, in the mid twenties. Um, what Capricorn is doing is they've developed a drug using cardiomyocytes. These are heart stem cells. And using that to try and treat the, the heart aspects of, uh, of Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. They're in a clinical trial right now that we're funding and we're seeing some really encouraging results. So we're hopeful that this will help these children, these young men and, um, to, to be able to kind of deal with this and have a prolonged life. Obviously it's not a cure. But in terms of first steps, in terms of offering something for a disease that up to now had nothing, uh, this is really encouraging. Uh, Umicite and J-Site, which are developing two other CERM-funded therapies, one FDA regenerative medicine advanced therapy designations. This is a newer designation the FDA is now able to grant. What does that do? Humicite was the, was the first company to get what the FDA calls its regenerative medicine advanced therapies designation and J-Site another CERN-funded clinical trial. Um, was one of, I think it was in the top five companies. So this is really encouraging, both from our perspective in terms of the projects that we're supporting and funding, but also I think in terms of the field in general, because it suggests that the, the FDA is responding to calls to, to create a faster, more streamlined, effective uh, regulatory process. Um, what this, um, what's called RMAT designation does, is it offers companies an opportunity to meet with the FDA at an earlier stage. Um, particularly for things that are called breakthrough therapy. It gives them priority review and accelerated approval, obviously depending on clinical trial results. But it make, what it means is that if you have something that looks really promising and it's a, it's a breakthrough for, for conditions that really don't have anything else like that, 
this really helps move that along at a much faster pace. And of course, that means that we'll be able to get to a wider group of patients at a much faster pace. And that's clearly the most important part of any of this. Well, Randy Mills, the, the former president and CEO of CIRM, had in the past been critical of the FDA's pace of advancing regenerative therapies and its lack of alternative pathways to do so. At the same time, the scientific community pushed back somewhat on congressional efforts to loosen the review of stem cell therapies through the Regrow Act. Where do you think we are now with the FDA, and did provisions in the 21st Century Cures Act adequately address concerns about the pace of advancing regenerative therapies? Well, I think we're at a really interesting point because, as you mentioned, an awful lot of people were very critical of the FDA and have been for many years about the slow approval process that they've had. And I think the 21st Century Cures Act is helping move that in the right direction, certainly a step in the right direction. And I think the fact that the FDA has worked um, much more consistently in the last few months to increase the number of these uh, RMAT, Regenerative Medicine Advanced Therapy designations, rare organ designations, suggests that they really are trying to kind of change the way they work to create a more efficient and perhaps even more importantly, a more consistent process. I think one of the problems that's been in the past is that there was a great deal of inconsistency in the way that the FDA acted, and that seems to be changing. Um, and that's a really encouraging and really hopeful thing, particularly for companies that are dealing with new products, because consistency is really important for a company if they know that they're going to be able to move their product or therapy along at a really kind of um, predictable fashion. If it's inconsistent, it's really hard for them to do that in, and, and get the money that they need to sustain that kind of research. So consistency from the FDA is really important. And this is obviously a really good sign, a really encouraging sign. Obviously, the FDA is going through some other changes of its own. It's got a new uh, director uh, or commissioner. And so it'll be very interesting to see how Dr. Gottlieb um, handles this and, and, and the direction he takes the agency. But I think certainly from the stem cell agencies, from CERM's perspective, this is all very encouraging. Well, we, we've certainly CERM, seen CERM move through its development from a, an early focus on infrastructure to a greater focus on clinical trials, I think, for obvious reasons. You've also made efforts to speed the funding of <laughs> clinical trials as well. How robust would you say the regenerative medicine pipeline is, and, and what's been CERM's contribution to that? I think it's becoming increasingly robust. I think in, uh, at the end of the first 10 years of our life, we had funded 10 clinical trials. In the last two or three years, we've, been, we've more than doubled that number. We're now, um, in fact, we've increased it to 33 clinical trials that we've funded, and we have a goal to add another 35 or more clinical trials to that number by the end of 2020. And I think one of the reasons we're able to do that and to look at that as kind of a, an ambitious but certainly possible goal is because the field itself is maturing. The field itself is advancing in, in a really exciting way. Uh, we're no longer at the point where we have a lot of really interesting things in discoveries and some potential things in translational research. We're at a point now where an awful lot of things are moving towards the clinic. And in fact, we're funding a couple of phase three clinical trials, I think. And that's an indication of just how far the field has advanced. One of the things that we've been trying to do, though, is kind of really make sure that we have not just kind of good projects coming to us, but good projects that we're funding and moving through this pipeline where we're offering incentives from people who are working at discovery or the most basic level of research to move into the translational phase. And then once they're in the translational phase, giving them the support and the resources they need to move those really promising projects into the clinical phase. Um, to do that, we've created a partnership with um, Quintile Biomed. And we call it our stem cell center. 
And what this does is it enables uh, researchers who really don't maybe have a lot of experience working with the FDA who have a good idea, but maybe are a bit nervous about how they're going to move it through that kind of approval process to get an IND to get into a clinical trial. Quintiles IMF and the Stem Cell Center will work with them. They'll do the things that the researchers aren't particularly good at, um, setting up meetings, working with them to prepare for the FDA. And that leaves the researchers free to do the things that they're really wonderfully good at. Um, Randy Mills always used to talk about there's no point in trying to teach fish to fly. Um, fish are really good at swimming, and we should encourage them to do that. We'll give them the help they need to do all the other things. And so that's what this stem cell center was designed to do, to help these, these researchers who don't necessarily have a lot of experience in getting approvals for a clinical trial to get that approval. And then what they will do as well is once they have that approval, they will help them set up and run a clinical trial. And again, this is a whole different set of skills that many researchers don't have. And one of the reasons why I think many projects have, have stumbled in trying to get into the clinic is because it's a, it's a lot of people who are brilliant at what they do but don't necessarily have that full range of skills to move into the clinic. And the stem cell center and quintiles IMS will help them do that. They'll help them with setting up the clinical trial. They'll help them with working with patients and patient advocates to design a trial that works for the patient and is more likely to be effective and successful at recruiting patients and also retaining them for the trial. And then they'll help them with data management so they can understand and set realistic goals and be able to track those goals and see if they're meeting them. So all these things are really important. And I think CERN has certainly kind of tried to reshape the way we work because we found that you know, um, as the field was maturing, um, there, were be- there were ways to do things in a way that was more effective and efficient for us. Just as we were calling for the FDA to be more effective and efficient, we found ways to do that ourselves. And so hopefully that will kind of give other companies, other funding agencies, ideas on how they can also be more effective. Robert Klein, a leader of the ballot initiative that led to the creation of CIRM, has talked about reaching out to voters for a new $5 billion initiative to fund its continued existence. Any sense whether there will be any kind of a ballot initiative in 2018 or other funding initiatives? If there is another ballot initiative, it's certainly something that CERN wouldn't be part of, you know, as a state agency. It, it wouldn't be appropriate for us to champion something like this or go to voters and ask for more money. Um, obviously, um, Bob and his team at American for Cures uh, are able to do this because they're separate, they're an independent organization, and that's certainly something that I know they're looking at. I've heard that they're actually now looking at the going back to the voters in 2020 rather than 2018, um, but I haven't uh, heard that definitively. Is there a case to be made for additional funding of CERM? Is there a need, or as government academia and industry filled whatever gaps that led to service creation. Oh, you're asking completely the wrong person to say that because I'm absolutely biased in favor of saying yes. There definitely is a need for for, for CERN and the work that we do. What we've been really instrumental in doing is in, in helping companies and researchers get through what's called the, uh, the valley of death. And that's that early phase research where you have a really good idea, but you need support in, in funding it and seeing if it works and then in moving it into a clinical trial to see if it's both safe and effective in patients. Right now, because the stem cell uh, regenerative yield, uh, regenerative medicine field is still so relatively young, there's a reluctance that we've seen on the part of, say, big pharmaceutical companies, on the part of venture capitalists to come in and fund this kind of work. So CERN has been essential, been fundamentally vital for many of these companies in moving these projects 
into clinical trials and in, in establishing maybe a proof of concept. Um, without that money, many of these projects would not be there today, would not be able to kind of show that they're, they're effective. Once you get into phase two clinical trials, though, and you're showing that really it is being effective, then all of a sudden uh, the pharmaceutical companies are going to be showing interest. The, the venture capitalists will show interest. But they, they need something like CERN to really help move these, these projects through in as fast and streamlined and focused a way as possible. And one of the other things that CERN is particularly good at doing is not just kind of, we don't just hand out money. Um, we don't just say, okay, here's an award for $5 million. Let us know how it goes. Good luck. We partner with these companies, with these researchers, because we want to do everything we can to make sure that what they're doing is going to be effective. And to do that, we set up a number of what we call milestones, and these are very tangible things. And so we'll give a company the first million dollars and say, when you hit this milestone, come back and we'll give you another million. And so the idea is that we fund work that's, that's making progress, that's doing well, that's hitting its milestones. If it's not making progress, if it's not hitting those milestones, we, we will discontinue funding. We don't want to throw good money after bad. We don't want to do this science just for the sake of science. We want to do this so we can help deliver patients um, the care and the, and the therapy that they need. And another thing that we're also doing is with each project that's in a clinical trial or getting close to one, we'll create what we call a CAP, and that's a, a clinical advisory panel. And that includes a, a firm science officer who oversees the project, an independent subject matter expert in, in that particular clinical trial or work, and then also a patient advocate. And the idea is that these will work with the researchers, with the company, to help guide and advise them on issues and if there are problems, to help them come up with solutions. And for example, a patient advocate is terribly important in helping design a clinical trial because they're people who have experience with that particular disease. They're people who understand the needs of the patient in, in, in something like this. And so they can help the, the, the company design a clinical trial around the needs of the patients. And that's something that's going to be much more likely to, um, in, to increase the, the uh, recruitment of patients, but also to maintain that, those patients once they have signed up and been part of a clinical trial. So we're working on lots of different levels, and I think Certainly the work we started has been tremendously important. We have a great pipeline of projects that we're building up. And so we would like to be able to continue to keep funding those projects and build up more projects. Because I think right now we're just at the cusp of really a remarkable period in, in healthcare and stem cells and regenerative medicine have the ability to completely transform the way we treat certain diseases, diseases right now that have no treatments, no cures. And we feel that if we can get more funding, if we can kind of continue the work that we've started, then we'll be able to have an enormous impact on, on the health of millions of people. And what is the future of CERM in the absence of additional funding? Well, in the absence of additional funding, we still have enough funding to keep going, uh, funding new awards up until 2020. And that means that those are multi-year awards. So our funding will continue probably for another two or three years after that. So we'll be around for a few years, although obviously our ability to kind of create new directions, to create new clinical trials, fund new clinical trials, will diminish after 2020. Um, but I think um, we're, we none of us came here looking for a job for life. So the staff here are just kind of committed to the, to the, the goal, committed to, to the mission. And we'll keep working as hard as we can for as long as we can, for, uh, as long as the money's there. Kevin McCormick, Senior Director of Public Communications and Patient Advocate Outreach for the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine. Kevin, thanks for your time. It was my pleasure, Danny. Thanks so much.
Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.